You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. The scripture reading will come from John chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. If you have a Bible at home, it would be wise for you to open up your Bible and follow along as I read to you God's Word. Again, this is John 10, verse 11 through 21. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord for our church. Let me pray, and then we will spend some time reflecting on this passage. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you now, the Good Shepherd, would you feed your sheep with a steady diet of your word? Make us healthy and whole, that we might faithfully be your people. For the sheep now who have wandered off, would you use your word to call us back to yourself? Would we be able to hear your voice and Return quickly to the comforts that come from being under your care. Speak to us through this, your word, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, what feels like a lifetime ago, in a previous job, I had an intern working under me who had a very, very strange and unique skill set. She claimed that she had the ability to look at people and see animals that correspond with each individual person. And she claimed that she could very accurately describe somebody through an animal that represented them. And I honestly, when I heard of this, thought she was joking. I didn't take it very seriously. And much to my surprise, uh, many coworkers asked me if I'd ever asked her what my animal is. They were uh, really impressed with her ability to uh, relay a person's characteristics and core personalities through the form of an animal that they represent. And when I heard all my coworkers had asked her, and when I heard some of their animals, I thought, well, maybe I will actually go for it. This seems kind of funny and somewhat insightful. I'll ask her what my animal is. And so she told me that she would only tell me my animal with permission, and she made sure I wanted to know it in public. And so in front of a group of people, I asked her, what is my animal? And expecting to hear that I was some sort of dignified lion or bear or some other majestic animal, And always in need of affirmation, I leaned against the doorway as I held my cup of coffee, waiting to hear this sort of compliment I was going to get from her through the animal which most accurately depicts me. And if my memory serves me right, 
Without taking a breath, she said, you are a squirrel. Now, at that point, I think she could see my utter disappointment in my face, not because the squirrel was inaccurate, but maybe because it was slightly accurate. She could see I was upset, and she said, not just any squirrel, but like the, the flying squirrel. And I remember trying to laugh it off and to make small talk, but I obviously could not hide the pain, and I could not dismiss her skills. So I gave the rest of the staff a warning about cultural appropriation, and I got back to work. In this passage, Jesus is going to give us one more of these statements, helping us understand exactly who he is. We've been asking, who is Jesus according to Jesus? And he says that he is the good shepherd. But in identifying himself this way, he's going to say something about us. He's going to give us our animal, and it's going to be hard for us to hear. But in saying who we are, he's also going to say who he is, and he's going to teach us exactly the ways in which he provides for us in our need. So this morning, I want to look at this metaphor where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I want to learn who we are, then I want to learn who Jesus is, and finally, I want to look at what Jesus then does. So first, who we are. Who are we? What do we learn about ourselves? What is our animal in this passage? And the answer is obvious. Jesus says, we are sheep. If he is our shepherd, we are his people, we are sheep. And in some ways, being called sheep is worse than being called a squirrel because at least a squirrel can survive on their own, make it through a winter. When Jesus refers to us as sheep, he's not thinking of the cute, cuddly, stuffed animal image you have in your mind, but an animal that was frequently domesticated in Israel at this time. Yes, it was cute, and yes, it did appear cuddly, but to the average audience, person hearing Jesus say that he was the good shepherd, this was a frustrating animal that was dumb. It was always getting lost. This is the reason even today why we still count sheep to fall asleep, because from beginning to end of a shepherd's day, it consisted of constantly keeping count on his sheep, making sure he did not lose one. They were considered dumb extremely dependent. They needed a superior being, a superior intellect to watch over them or else they could not survive. Even when a human being can't watch over a flock of sheep, we still have to leave livestock animals nearby to protect them. Our culture is replete with stories of especially dogs finding their owner in time of trouble. Stories like Homeward Bound, of pets traveling substantial length to be reunited with their owners. Or stories of dogs protecting their owners when an intruder comes. Or dogs running to get help from a neighbor when their owner has fallen down. But search and search you will, you will never find a story of sheep traversing any great length to notify a neighbor of the shepherd being in need. You'll never find any story of sheep running to the defense of their shepherd. Instead, you'll find stories like the story I found in the BBC from 2005, but illustrates the point nonetheless, of 1,500 sheep who followed one another right over over the edge of a cliff, killing about 400 of them, and I guess the rest just kind of piled up and the, the fall was absorbed by the ones who went first. Listen, before you'll ever understand what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd, you have to understand the claim he is making about you and about me. We are sheep. We are hopelessly lost without a superior mind, a superior being watching over us. We're easily lost. We get stuck. We get sidetracked. 
And the claim that Jesus is making is that we will not make it through this world without a guide, a superior mind, someone who knows more than us, is stronger than us, can provide for us, can, detract, can direct us. And do you, I do think we all understand this deep down. We know we need someone greater than us to watch over us. This is why so many of you are so profoundly disappointed in your parents. You feel they didn't protect or provide or set you up to win the way that you feel they ought to, and you live life filled with this disappointment. Some of you have entered into marriage hoping that the person you were married would be the person who would finally complete you, and yet you find yourself now frustrated in the marriage because your spouse has not been that superior being or mind that you needed to thrive in this world. And in the midst of your anger, what do we do as a people? We find a therapist. And the therapist is the one who is supposed to take us to green pastures, to give us the abundant life, someone we can depend on when everyone else has let us down. And yet the therapist, as good as they might be, still reminds you when you have failed to pay your bill in a timely manner. We all have attachment problems. We are all looking for a superior mind or a cause or a person to latch onto. And the older we get, the more we just accept that life in this world is hard and we're going to have to be our own shepherd. Even though we try not to depend too much on our parents or on our spouse or on our coworkers or on a job, we still can't help but pick up a new book. Maybe this author will shepherd me towards green pastures. We still can't help but try some kind of new theory our new approach to life, hoping that this will bring me to still waters. This passage is telling us this, that we are like sheep. We are easily misled. We can easily be snatched up by wolves. There are people who crave to take your money and your emotional time and what time you have left in life and run with it. You are like a sheep. I am like a sheep, vulnerable and dependent. So who are we? We're not uneducated beings needing a teacher. We're not unmotivated beings needing a life coach. We're not damaged beings just needing a therapist, though we need all of these things. We are best, underst best to understand ourselves as sheep, desperately needing a shepherd, a people dependent upon a being greater than their own, a mind greater than the one that they have if they are going to make it and thrive and not get lost. So we are sheep, but who is Jesus then? Well, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And this isn't some sort of arbitrary metaphor that Jesus latched onto as he saw a shepherd walk by uh, as he was teaching the people. No, this is a rich picture God has given to his people as they understand their relationship to their God. From Genesis 48, Jacob reflects on the fact that God has been a shepherd to him. And Numbers 27, Moses at the end of his life is praying, Lord, provide a successor for your people, one who will go before them, we read, and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. This is from Numbers 27. And we know that this prayer of Moses was answered. God raised up Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, to be for the people a shepherd to lead them into the promised land. And this theme only continues to build as in 2 Samuel 5, David, God tells David, you are to be a shepherd to my people. 
The Psalms are filled with examples of God referring to himself as a shepherd and his, the people, the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 23, as you heard in our call to worship, but also Psalm 100 and so many others. As God's, the storyline of God's people progresses, as we get to the prophets, though, the theme takes a slight new turn or a nuanced term. God is frustrated with the under-shepherds he has appointed to watch over his flock. He says in Isaiah 40 that he himself will come and tend his flock like a shepherd. He's going to gather the lambs into his very arms. In Ezekiel 34, God sees his people lost and scattered. And he sees the shepherds who, are, who have been uh, given, the under-shepherds who have been given the responsibility to watch over the sheep. He, he sees them feasting off the sheep, not caring for them. And he says that he himself will be a shepherd to the scattered sheep. He will seek the lost. He will bring back the strayed. He will bind up the injured. He will give them the choicest of land to feast on. This is Ezekiel 34. The theme continues into the prophet Micah. As we read, from Bethlehem will come a leader. He will shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord. You see, it's not just that we need a shepherd or any shepherd. God is saying that we have seen shepherd after shepherd fail in the project of watching over us. And we need the shepherd to break into the story. That's what the prophet Ezekiel was talking about. That's what Micah was expecting. God needs to break into his creation and be the shepherd he promised to be. And Jesus is saying, not I am a shepherd like the other shepherds of Israel. He's saying, I am the good shepherd. I am God making good on his promise. Who is Jesus? He's the greater Joshua, the greater Yeshua, who will lead and shepherd God's people into a greater promised land. Who is Jesus? He's the descendant of King David, born, who is from the town of Bethlehem, uh, born to be a shepherd over God's people. Jesus is making an unparalleled and unequivocal statement about himself. He is saying, I am the good shepherd, the saving shepherd, the Lord. There's a reason at the tail end of this passage, the Jewish people ask if Jesus is demon-possessed and there begins to be a division among them. Who is Jesus? He is the good shepherd. Israel's God making good on his promise to finally break into the story, to bring back the scattered people, and to bring a great and true salvation to his people once again. Who is Jesus? He is the good shepherd. A couple verses later, he's going to say, I and the Father are one, and the Jewish people will seek to stone him. Listen, if we are all like sheep, and if all sheep need a shepherd, someone who is from a higher intellect, a, a being more powerful than us, Jesus is saying, look, it is me. Because I'm not just a shepherd who is like you with the same flesh and tendencies and nature as you. I am like you in every way. But I am also united with the, Trinity, with, the, with the Father and the Spirit in a very unique and powerful way. I am like you in every way and yet bonded in a, in a way with the Father and the Spirit in ways that you will never understand. I am united with the Heavenly Shepherd in a unique and special way. And I am taking on the special charge he has given to me. I am the good shepherd who knows each and every one of your needs. I am doing what the Father has told me to come to rescue you, his scattered sheep. So who is Jesus? He is the good shepherd. Promised long ago. 
is God making good on his promise to break into the story and shepherd his people. But now we have to ask, what does the good shepherd do for us? And there's two elements of the shepherd's work that are most prominent in this passage. The first is that the shepherd is going to sacrifice his life for us. And the second is that the shepherd will know us. So what does the good shepherd do? Well, what do we read all over this passage? He's going to lay down his life for the sheep. We see that in verse 11 and verse 15 and verse 17 and 18. And this is strange. How would it make someone a good shepherd to die for the sheep? Wouldn't the sheep in the end be more vulnerable, not less vulnerable if their shepherd dies? Now, it's interesting. Many of shepherds would have been raising sheep around Jerusalem at the time with the purpose that some of these sheep, the spotless ones, were going to be raised so that they could go to the temple and be sacrificed, slaughtered. Maybe at the Passover, slaughtered in each home and the blood used to paint over the doorposts. The shepherd raised the sheep so that the sheep could lay down their life. Why? This was God's plan. The whole system was set up so that because of human rebellion, because one drop of human rebellion is more toxic than one cell of cancer in your body, because one act of rebellion pollutes your heart in such a way it will eventually ruin and inflict all elements of your very being. Because of the deadly nature of sin and because all humanity had turned towards sin, God said, you must shed blood. You will die. You must surrender your life if you turn in rebellion against me. But he provided a way for his people. He said, you can sacrifice on your behalf the blood of an animal as a temporary substitute to abate my anger and wrath against you. But Jesus is saying this, I am not the shepherd who raises sheep to be slaughtered, that I might live longer. I am the good shepherd who has come to be a substitute for the sheep. You see, Jesus never once sinned. He was perfectly obedient throughout all of his life, always faithful to his Father, always depending on the Spirit in all of the junctures of life. Sin had no claim on him. There was not one cancer cell that had infected his body and polluted his heart. And so death could not lay claim and lay hold of him and say, gotcha. And yet Jesus is saying, though I don't have to die, I voluntarily have come to lay down my life for the sheep. Death doesn't control me, but I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd you and I are longing for. He's the shepherd your spouse can never be, your parents could never be. He's come to give you the life you crave. Unending life, abundant life, as Lyndon preached on last week. He is absolutely setting you free from living your life as though this is the last chapter of existence for you. What this means practically is that Jesus came so that you would know no matter how horrible life goes to the very last breath, this will not be the end, no matter what pain and suffering you experience. You do not have to live under the weight of the fear of death, which guides and controls so many. So many of you are living under the fear of death with unbearable regrets about life decisions you've made. You're, you, you live in, with a constant state of disappointment and you have no joy in your life. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. Fear death no more. I've come to lay down my life for the sheep. Though you will die once, you will live twice because of me. The comedian and 
cultural commentary, Stephen Colbert, beautifully illustrated what it looks like for someone to get this, to understand Jesus as their good shepherd. He was interviewing a musician named Dua Lipa, a musician I don't know terribly well. But at one point of the interview, she turned the tables and begins asking him a question. And she specifically asks him, how does your faith overlap with your comedy? And without really reflecting or without thinking, Stephen Colbert talked about the relationship his faith allows him to have between sadness and laughter. And he says the only reason his faith could make him the type of person that could laugh in the face of sadness is because he believes death is defeated. Life is filled with sadness, but life will never fully uh, be defeated because the good shepherd has come. There is an eternity awaiting for us, a time, and so life and love are forever in our future. And therefore, in the face of sadness, he shared that he can hold on to a good shepherd who allows him to laugh. He did this on the fly, without a script. I feel, though not perfect, he represented Christ very well and very creatively in this difficult setting. Listen, I need to ask this question. Where are you living without the great shepherd, with the unbearable weight of the fear of death hanging over you? Where are you wandering around, wondering if you wasted your life and your career choice, wondering if you have uh, an unfair burden of family obligations, wondering if you should just put up walls in your life between people who are difficult so you can insulate yourself from any pain, wondering if you should change careers so you never face criticism and live a life with constant comfort, friends, There is a shepherd who has taken care of death for you. Stop living as though death is your Lord. Your shepherd is your Lord. Death will not lead you to green pastures. The fear of death will lead you to temporary pleasures, but you will not find green pastures or still waters. Your shepherd laid down his life for you. But it's not just that he lays down his life. The shepherd also knows his sheep. And maybe in our culture, this might be a greater fear than the fear of death, being fully known by someone. So fundamental is the human desire to be fully known and fully accepted that we'll do anything to get a taste of it. We long to stand naked, not just physically, but even emotionally before another person and be accepted and be loved for who we are. We crave it. But as Kurt Thompson wrote in the book Soul of Shame, from a very young age, we learn that the more we expose ourselves to another, the more we open up our ability to be wounded. And so after, being, after exposing and being wounded, we hide and we hide and we cover up and we cover up and we put on layers of makeup and we put on our false self. Friends, this is what social media is all about. Manicure an image of yourself Let people believe they know the real you, but never let them see the real thing. Friends, over time, social media is so dangerous that you will grow so used to manicuring an image of yourself, you will never be able to have interpersonal relationships for fear that it will just be too intimate, you'll be too exposed, and you'll be too rejected. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard And his first published work wrote uh, in either or wrote this. He said, do you not know that there comes a midnight hour when everyone has to throw off his mask? Do you believe that life will always let itself be mocked? Do you think you can slip away a little before midnight in order to avoid this? Or are you terrified by it? I have seen men in real life who who so long deceived others 
that at last their true nature could not reveal itself. In every man, there is something which, to a certain degree, prevents him from becoming perfectly transparent to himself. And this may be the case in so high a degree, he may be so inexplicably woven into re- it, it, um, sorry, he may be so inexplicably woven into relationships of life which extend far beyond himself that he almost cannot reveal himself. Listen closely. Here's the best line of this paragraph. Kierkegaard writes, "But he who cannot reveal himself cannot love, and he who cannot love is the most unhappy man of all." Listen, this is our fundamental longing for a shepherd, to be fully known by the shepherd and in being fully known to never be rejected, but to be loved and to be accepted. This is the good shepherd and this is his task that the father has given him and he will never disappoint. He knows exactly the sheep of his fold. He knows the fears of the sheep of his fold. That some of you, then the second you hear roaring noise, get terrified. And like a good shepherd, he knows he needs to check in on the sheep who get terrified at the sound of a roaring noise. And he knows that some of you are tempted by what looks like lush pastures. He knows. And he seeks you out by name as those temptations, as you walk past those temptations. By name, he says, Jane and Anne and David and Peter and and Sam, are, are, are you with me? Are you here? Are you okay? And night by night, he does a head count and he double checks that you are there, that you are part of the fold. He is the good shepherd. He knows everything about you. He knows your tendencies better than you do. And he loves you. He loves you. Your need to be known and loved at the same time will never be met perfectly by a boss or a spouse or a colleague or a therapist. He is the good shepherd, the one who will provide you lasting joy and hope and peace. But here's the deal as I conclude this sermon. You must come to him and be known. You must quit hiding You must quit going down paths, looking for the life you think you can find. Stop going to what you believe to be green pastures and still waters. You have a shepherd who will lead you, who will guide you. You don't have to. Stop running. Stop hiding. When the shepherd finds you, he's going to bring you back into his fold. He's going to take you in his arm like a little lamb. And he's going to nurture and care for you. He is a good shepherd. Submit to his gentle care. He gave his very life for you that you might be part of this flock. All He lives to lead you towards green pastures and still waters. He is working to still your soul. Even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you should fear nor evil. For your shepherd is with you. He will guide you. He will sustain you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are to us a true and great shepherd. Help us to understand how deeply we need your shepherding hand. Guide us, lead us, sustain us, watch over us, we ask. Oh, Father, do this through your Son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.